Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast with Sean Martin. Have you ever thought that we're selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Well, perhaps we are. Let's look at how we can organize a successful information security program that integrates business culture with people, process, and technology to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Everybody, this is Sean Martin, your host for the Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast here on ITSP Magazine Podcast Network, where I get to uh, have amazing people on to help me understand better, and hopefully you understand better, our listeners, how to operationalize security. And uh, there's a lot to that. <laughs> a few words mean so many things, and. Uh, for those who followed ITSP Magazine for a while, you, you might know that uh, Marco, my co-founder, and I started ITSP Magazine for the very reason of the topic that I'm going to discuss today, and that the human element of cybersecurity. And uh, we did that in the context of all the human elements <laughs> of, of cyber. Uh, both as a user and as a practitioner and as a leader. And, and uh, as you know from our tagline, it's impact on society as a whole. So a collection of humans. And uh, so when I saw a post from my guest, Julie Haney, hey, Julie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I said, we have to talk about this. Uh, anytime we, we get some insight on what the human has to do with cyber, I'm totally interested. And uh, Julie is working on some stuff with NIST around the human-centered cybersecurity program, which we're going to get into. Um, and Julie, before we do that, though, uh, a few words about who you are. Are, are you human? What, what, I, what makes I am you human. <laughs> I have not recently been generated by an AI. Oh. I don't All right. Think. Um, yeah, I am human. Um, yeah, I lead the human-centered cybersecurity program at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, otherwise known as NIST. And you're you're very humble when you say that. So, what, what, tell us a little bit about uh, about your journey into that role. Maybe some of the things that uh, led you led you to that point. Yeah, it it definitely was not a direct route. Um, so, uh, like many security people, I started off in computer science, um, got a degree in computer science, and went to work for um, the Department of Defense as a security professional for um, many years. Um, started off doing vulnerability assessments, uh, telling people all of the things that were wrong on their network and how they could fix those. Um, wrote a lot of security guidance and spent a lot of my time 
trying to get organizations to implement various security mitigations, better protect um, their information, their networks, their people. Um, and, you know, throughout all of that, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is technology is not always the problem, or rather, you know, technology exists and, and it can do the things that we want to do um, when it comes to cybersecurity, but there's a lot of other reasons why people and organizations really struggle with cybersecurity. Um, and those are all really centered around that human element. It's about people. If we think about it, cybersecurity is for people, designed by people, used by people, exploited by people. So people are really at the center of that. Um, and so, you know, when I just, you know, learned about like, well, how are, why is cybersecurity failing? What are all the reasons for that? Um, and, you know, it goes back to things that are, um, you know, generated and have to do with people. So policies, that people make policies. Uh, processes, um, organizational security culture, uh, you know, people understanding or not understanding cybersecurity and what's expected of them, um, poor usability of uh, security um, tools, technologies, processes, policies, um, training is a, is a big element. So all of these go back to people. And I was really interested in learning more of the science behind what I had been observing. Um, so uh, late in life, uh, later in life, not too late in life, but later in life, I went back um, to graduate school to study human-centered computing and um, started doing research about the human element of cybersecurity um, and uh, had an opportunity to um, to do a temporary assignment with NIST um, and their usability group and uh, loved it and ended up uh, eventually transferring over there um, to, to kind of, you know, continue doing that type of research and really getting at um, the center of cybersecurity, which is that, that human, those people. So there's a couple and there's a few things. I'll, I'll put the links to these items here. So there's a, there's a post and there's the program and one speaks to usable usable cybersecurity, which I think mm -hmm. is the old name of, yep. of what you're working on. And now it's human-centered cybersecurity. And maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, wh why the change? <laughs> and, and maybe an overview of what does it mean to have user-centered cybersecurity? We were joking before we started recording. Is that mm -hmm. user awareness training or, right. or what? <laughs> So, right, right. Yeah, why, 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 why those terms? Why the change? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Yeah. So, um, the usable cybersecurity program has been around at NIST for 10, 12 years now. And I've been at NIST about five and a half years. Um, and um, it really did, it was rooted in usability. So, when we talk about usability, we, we talk about whether something um, can people perform a task with effectiveness, efficiency, and satisfaction. So kind of looking at those um, three elements. And so the, the program was founded in kind of usability of like passwords, different types of authentication mechanisms, biometrics, those types of things. Um, and, and we still do those 
you know, those the, that type of research and looking into to problems from that usability perspective. But um, we really go beyond that and we've been going beyond that for a while. Um, so it's not just about kind of like a usability of an interface, which is I think what people kind of think of, right? Like, of, you know, like this tool or this web, you know, how unusable this you know, particular website is. Um, we really are going beyond that to look at people's perceptions, their attitudes about security and how that impacts how they interact. Um, with cybersecurity, um, you know, really getting at um, that those relationships that people have with cybersecurity, and it's not always about usability, right? There's like a lot of social factors that impact how we view, you know, online security and privacy. Um, so, you know, we were kind of finding, even as we marketed ourselves internally within our own organization people kind of thought, oh, you you all do like usability evaluations and like, we don't really, like, and I was like, whoa, 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 we can like, we can do more than that. We can like step back and look at organizational factors that might impact, you know, how security is going. Um, you mentioned security awareness training. That, I mean, there, there could be a usability component to that, but that's, you know, beyond usability. I mean, that's about how, how are people learning about um, security? Do they find that to be relevant to them? Do they see their responsibility in that? Are they getting enough um, instructions that they can make good security decisions? Um, so all of that encompasses or is part of human-centered cybersecurity. And so we've been talking as a group for a while that we wanted to, a name that better reflected that and maybe cleared up some of the misconceptions that were kind of putting us in this little silo of only usability evaluations. I love it. And can we, can we further define the scope here? Um, a lot of what I heard you say connects me to the end user mm. um, and not necessarily the security practitioner, which happen to be end users as well. And some, right? they, they don't get a, mm -hmm. they don't get a free mm -hmm. pass on that, even though we might, mm -hmm. might think they do. Um, did, does it focus primarily on end users, employees within business? Does it go outside the company to customers of the business? Kind of yeah. where does where does that go? It definitely is beyond end users. I mean, that that's definitely you know we do look at end users, so kind of like general public, you know, typical employees, like the cybersecurity non-experts. We definitely um, do projects related to them. Um, now, myself, especially having been a security professional, I have a special place in my heart for trying to help security people because they are heroes. They do amazing things. They're overwhelmed. Um, so how can we help do research to help them do their jobs better with, you know, you know, with more like satisfaction and, and um, how can we arm them with the knowledge that they need? to then also improve the experience of the end users that they support. Um, so we, we definitely look at, at specialized groups of people. Um, you know, we're starting um, a, a voting project looking more, um, eventually gonna be looking more at um, election officials and some of the challenges that they have with cybersecurity, implementing cybersecurity. So it's, our work really encompasses all of the stakeholders in cybersecurity. So it's not just, you know, end user. Interesting. 
Yeah, I can see the election officials, the campaigns. I know we'd, we've interviewed some folks on campaign stuff in the past and strategies and people contributing. It's sensitive information. Yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. uh, who, who has access? How do they do it? How do you secure it? Um, all that mm -hmm. stuff is fun. Um, I want to maybe get, get your insight on, do you, do you have a few projects or programs that you can share um, what initiated them? What was the outcome of them? Pick, pick one or two, maybe that uh, that are a, a passion area for you, maybe. Sure. Um, so one um, area that we've um, we actually have several projects related to this is you mentioned security awareness and training. Uh, kind of a hot topic um, with a lot of organizations um, and. Um, so we have um, a project um, to help security awareness and training coordinators who are doing phishing simulation exercises. Um, so um, some of my colleagues have developed something called the NIST fish scale um, to help those training coordinators contextualize their phishing click rates. So it's not all about the numbers. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it, if, you know, about determining whether or not a particular um, phishing, a simulated phishing email was more difficult or, or easier. And it's not just kind of from like the typical like phishing cues, like your spelling or grammar errors. There's a lot of user context that goes into that as well. So does that phishing email align with like my duties as uh, you know, in my organization. So if I get a like a financial related um, email and I work in finance, I'm more likely to click on it. So um, trying to help those coordinators to contextualize their phishing simulation click rates and to better tailor those to their employees, to their workforce. Um, so that's part of the security awareness. And we've also done some work looking at government security awareness um, programs, again, from the security awareness professional perspective, what are the challenges that they are having in implementing these programs um, in their organizations? Are they like more compliance based with like, you need to get 100%, you know, people trained, which what does that mean? <laughs> it means 100% of the people took the training doesn't mean that you had an impact. So looking at it from those perspectives, um, and that information has really informed um, the group at NIST that's working on a new special publication about building um, a, a security awareness and training program. Um, so we tend to do a lot that kind of feeds into the people that are writing kind of like the official NIST guidance. Um, so that's definitely one um, vein of research um, that, um, We've had we've had a lot of good feedback about, um, and we feel like is is making a real impact. Um, we, can we stick with that one for a oh, moment? Oh, sure, yeah, and, go for it. And maybe maybe we'll get to yeah. that one. Yeah. But I want to dig into that one a little bit because I think as a as an organization, um, my sense of, across the board is we need to do something for X, right? <laughs> and and. That's not our area of expertise. We bake muffins or cupcakes or whatever, and uh, or we we sell widgets to uh, to uh, the aerospace industry. We're not security professionals, mm -hmm. but we have a security team. 
but all these different things, especially when we start talking about end user security awareness training, it, it's not it's not firewall rules, right? This is human. This is the way people think and react and to individually and together and and how they're influenced and and what incentivizes them. All, all this stuff, right? Is is human based. So, what are some of the challenges? And I'm sure this is how you. Uh, look at these programs and, and projects to help help people get started. What are some of the challenges you, you see organizations facing? Um, is it understanding what the objective is? Is it uh, finding the products? Is it supporting them with the right team? Where, where, All of the above. Yeah, sure. So tell me, tell me a little more uh, about some of the yeah. challenges they face and how the work you do maybe helps unlock or overcome some of those barriers. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of, um, a lot of problems has to, it was very interesting because we asked people, do you feel like you have leadership support? And like most people are like, oh yeah, we definitely do. And then it was like, do you feel like you have like enough like resources or staff? Oh no, not at all. Not at all. So there's a disconnect there. Right. Um, so it's not always prioritized or it's, um, you know, I mentioned the C word compliance before. Um, organizations tend to look at security awareness as a once a year compliance activity, you know, especially in the government. I know there's other sectors that there's a requirement that everyone do security awareness training. Um, and so they, you know, are focused on like, we got to get people trained. It's a once a year thing. The problem is you do the once a year, people are just rushing through it. You know, there's no reinforcement throughout the year. And so that kind of constant reinforcement, um, the sending reminders, the having activities throughout the year is so important. And a lot of organizations get that, but they're kind of struggling to find like, well, what's the most engaging thing for my employees, right? Like what's gonna really like bring them in, get their attention. Um, you know, I get emails all the time that have to do with, you know, security awareness type of topics. And I'm just like, delete, delete, delete. Um, so, so how do you how do you have have this kind of these? How are you engaging a very diverse group of employees who like to receive information in very different ways? Um, and so, I think a lot of organizations kind of struggle with like, well, how do I do that? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of you know creative approaches. You know, people talked about. Um, these escape rooms, you know, they had a, like a security awareness type of escape rooms, or they have different activities throughout the year that are more engaging types of, you know, um, games, things like that. So I think like, I think a lot of organizations struggle to find material past the kind of one and done. Um, the other huge challenge is that a lot of organizations have no idea how successful their programs are or are not um, because they're not gathering the types of measures of effectiveness or metrics that they need to really determine that. So, you know, they have like an X number of people completed the training, um, but they don't have any impact measures, right? So how is this actually changing people's behaviors and their attitudes? And so, um, you know, collecting things like user, what, what I'm calling user generated security incidents, right? So, um, so how many, um, ha how many people are, 
um, you know, leaving their smart card and their reader, or how many incidents we have, how many people are clicking on phishing emails or getting infected with malware, how many people are calling the help desk. The help desk is like a treasure trove of information about things that people are struggling with, right? Um, they're the, the first line. So are we looking at those things and then getting like, that's the symptom that there's a problem and like getting at the root cause. Well, why are people struggling with this? And to do that, you need to go and like, actually like talk to people and get the impact and survey people and, um, you know, hear from them about, you know, what's going on? Like, what can we do to help and how that information can then inform your security awareness program? Right. So if people are really struggling with phishing, maybe we need to ramp that up or maybe we just had a huge phishing campaign. And look, we see like the number of people reporting fishes are going up like that's good. Like that's an indicator maybe that we did something right. So I think a lot of organizations don't know what type of data to collect and how to show that their programs actually make an impact. And they also need that data to improve their program. Right. So to keep you know, addressing um, problem areas or maybe there's specific groups that need more help. Um, so they're kind of left in the dark about, you know, what to do next um, without without those measures of effectiveness. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining a number of the listeners going, all right, I have a program. I use some tech. I better I have a, I should look at how I can use my data better um, tied to objectives. Um, but you said something that that many probably gloss over as they're listening. Have a conversation with with the people, mm -hmm. um, and so that leads me to two things. One, are we as security professionals able <laughs> to have those conversations? <laughs> and let's assume maybe not everybody is um, mm -hmm. or comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. um, which then leads me to the second point of th there's more to the program than the tools, the process, the data, the results. Um, how do you help people kind of encase in, in the program with a broader scope? I'm thinking HR, marketing, um, mm. people that can help get the word out and, and, and help people understand why and to have those conversations maybe if, if it's not appropriate for, mm -hmm. for security people to have them. Mm -hmm. so maybe can you talk about the bigger, the bigger circle there? You just answered the question with exactly how I was going to answer it. Um, Sorry. Yeah, like, yes. Um, so so first, my argument for a security awareness profession, like, yes, like not everyone who is a security person is going to be like a great communicator. I, it's like that in a lot of a lot of jobs. That's fine. Not everyone needs to do that. You need some people that can definitely do that. Um, but a security awareness professional should have that set of skills. Um, I think one of the issues is, is that they often just, you know, take some random security person and they're like, you're the security awareness person, right? Like you don't necessarily have any other back, you know, security, but you don't like, you know, no, you don't necessarily have like great communication skills or interpersonal skills, or you don't know anything about like instructional design or anything like that. Um, so that, you know, I, I feel bad for those people. They don't, they don't have the, the kind of skill set. So, so how do we, you know, not everyone is going to have it all, right? So exactly what you said is that 
there needs to be more collaboration, more building these kind of interdisciplinary teams where people have skills that complement each other. So involving the communications team is huge. I mean, we are finding that we haven't been making enough use of our great communications team um, in, in, our, um, in our area. Um, they're fantastic with helping like to craft messages and and they know like uh, like can help you translate your techno speak into kind of plain language or get people's attention. Um, so enlisting the help of people that are, you know, that know how to um, design, uh, you know, are more into instructional design or learning and know how people learn. And um, so it really does take a team, a, di a diverse team of people to do that because you're rarely going to find the whole package in one person um, with respect to like what, what's needed for security awareness. It's the, the, it's the superhero cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah, there are, they exist. I've met they a few exist. and they they're amazing. Um, but it, but they, they usually ha also have, have a team. It's really difficult to just yeah. do it alone. Yeah. So uh, I presume the work that comes out of your team and you're supporting uh, teams around you uh, with the, with the, uh, what are they called? And it basically produces the, <laughs> the, the final, uh, the final pieces. I, I presume you cover a lot of that in, in the materials that you develop and share with folks. Um, kind of, is it a big picture view of here's how you approach it? Here are the things you need to consider examples of technology, examples of projects, examples of does it, how, how much does it cover in, in the, the stuff that you put together? Um, yeah, we try to, uh, hopefully I'm answering, I, I'm interpreting the question and answering it um, well. Um, we try to have a practical spin on what we do. So to, to kind of go into those suggestions um, for practitioners, um, you know, we, I mean, you know, we publish like researchy papers and things like that in our research forums, but we we always try to kind of come back to like, what is our, our main goal is to get information into the hands of people that can do something about it. And so um, we do have kind of those practical suggestions, um, you know, examples. Um, one, you know, one of the great things about some of the research that we do is that we have like real world examples and lessons learned from from other people doing similar types of jobs. And people have found that so valuable is just, you know, learning from other, like what are other people doing? I, I, and I found in the security community where we tend to be very um, collaborative and we wanna hear what other people are doing mm -hmm. and, and their experiences. Yep. Um, and so it, we're just, we see ourselves as a conduit for helping some of that sharing as well. Yeah, perfect answer. Because I'm I'm actually looking at some of the the word I was looking for is publication, right? You, you produce oh, a lot, okay. you publish a lot of things. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th there's a ton of resources, papers and presentations and videos and blogs, mm -hmm. um, all of which can help paint a picture. Um, I guess is there a like an overview? <laughs> I'm just thinking, is there something that says start here? 
is there a way way to guide people to and then maybe we focus on fishing for a moment mm. is there a start here place that people go or do they just randomly research and see all the stuff you've done um oh just a, a, a place for people to start with error yeah with error information um well we have um we recently revamped our human-centered cybersecurity web pages. Um, there's a list of our kind of the topic areas that we're interested or that we've been working on. Um, so people can can click there. Um, they can get an overview of what we're doing in the space, and then they can see um, it's organized by you know more like kind of papers or blogs, videos that those types of things. Um, um, to get, uh, you know, if there's a specific topic that they're interested in, um, you know, looking for suggestions if people if people have other ideas of how to better organize it. Um, but that's that's what we're we're doing right now. Yep, love it. So I want to go to you. You're about to uh, when I derailed this. <laughs> you're about to give another ex another example of a program or a project. Want to share that one? Oh, yeah. The, so this is a this is an end progress, um, and it's something again that I feel very passionate about. As I mentioned before, I was a security practitioner, and I'm very interested in helping security practitioners. Um, so we've been um, doing um, a project to help bring the research and the practitioner communities together. Because um, I think about when I was a practitioner, um, how much I didn't know about, you know, kind of human behavior and what's already been done and, um, you know, what kind of research evidence is already out there that could help you know, me do my job better. And I didn't know because I, you know, don't live in, I didn't live in that world and I was busy and, um, and I, you know, not everyone uh, has the opportunity to go back to graduate school to study it like I did. Um, so, you know, there's so much great research that's been done that could be really helpful to practitioners, but how do we get it to them? Um, and there's, you know, it, and this is not unique to cybersecurity at all. Um, you know, this research practice gap, right, um, is, is uh, kind of prevalent throughout all kinds of fields for, for all different types of reasons, right? So, you know, there's often not that translation done between like the, you know, the very research oriented paper that goes into the, your methodology and great excruciating detail and all your statistical analysis. Like practitioners don't, they don't necessarily care about that. They care about kind of what you did in general and what you found, right? So that translation doesn't always take place because researchers, they have a different incentive structure, right? They they are incentivized by publishing papers and, and you know, um, well-respected forums and, and conferences and journals and, and, and uh, you know, they don't, they're not uh, evaluated based on like who they give this stuff to and does it have an actual impact in practice. But what we've been finding in the human-centered cybersecurity community is these researchers really want to make an impact. They just, you know, they don't necessarily have the time or the resources to do it. They're not sure um, how best to reach practitioners. Um, so we did, um, we did a couple surveys. We did one um, for practitioners and one for researchers. And um, just kind of for the researchers trying to figure out, well, how are you, 
kind of incorporating practitioners throughout your whole research life cycle so that you make sure that your research is relevant to them, right? And then at the end that it's actionable, that they can find it, that it's in, you know, translated into something that's meaningful to them. Um, and then looking from the practitioner perspective about, you know, how do they feel about kind of human-centered cybersecurity in general? Is it something that they try to incorporate into their work? What's the challenge that they have doing that? How do they want to receive information? Um, so we're, we're kind of going through the results now and doing our analysis. And in general, what we're finding is, is that both communities, they really want to share that information. They, there's just a lot of barriers in the way. There's, so we need to look for solutions that doesn't put undue burden on either community. Um, so, you know, one of the really interesting things um, when we were going through and reading about the research practice gap in other fields, um, there was a paper that suggested um, the establishment of uh, what they call evidence bridges. So evidence meaning research evidence. And these are like intermediaries that take and synthesize research that is of interest to practitioners. So they have a pulse on practitioners and what practitioners care about, and they synthesize it into kind of a digestible um, you know, form. And, and that doesn't mean dumbed down, it means you know, more actionable and, and something shorter for practitioners to take. And so they're kind of, they act as this, and then they they kind of bring the practitioner needs over to the research community. And we don't really have that in cybersecurity. Um, yeah, I'll say we yeah. do. It's called chat GPT. Oh. <laughs> 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 you, you know, all the research. You know, uh, ITSP is a is a can be an evidence bridge in some ways, right? If you invite people like me, um, who are researchers, and then you're asking me questions that are of interest to practitioners, you're kind of pulling out that information that people care about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how how can we bring these two communities together um, to share this information that's so important? that security professionals don't, they don't learn about naturally, right? Like in their, like in their educational or their professional um, education, they're just not being exposed to this. So how can we do that? Yeah. Cause I, I just did a, a podcast gentleman uh, from Nigeria and he was talking about, it was a, a gruesome example, but when, when somebody's about to pull a trigger, their eyes do a certain thing. And, Bottom line, he was trying to say is we as humans have signs or signals or things that we do before we take action. And mm -hmm. if we can understand what that is, <laughs> maybe we can get ahead of those things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to, to help them not do something bad or, mm -hmm. or to encourage them to do something good based on, mm -hmm. on the, the signs that we're seeing. Um, so... It was, so it was very interesting to me that, that we have all this, all these studies and all this research. And to your point, it's interesting, but could be meaningful and impactful. Mm -hmm. um, so you're talking about this gap. Um, what What's your plan? What's NIST's plan for helping to to close that gap? Do you see? Is it communications? Is it platforms? Is it mm -hmm. Just talking like this. What, what what's the idea? Yeah, I mean, we. So I I will say that we're we're kind of early 
um, in our research because we want to have evidence to inform our, our recommendations at the end. And, and we plan to do kind of a follow up to um, interview some people to get some more in-depth information and their ideas for how do we how do we bridge this gap as well. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of the solutions we'll look for, but you know, what we're doing right now at NIST is we're um, we're really starting to encourage more and support more forums that are bringing researchers and um, practitioners together. Um, um, I'll mention one. Uh, it, uh, here's here's my disclaimer that the opinions and that I express here are only mine and do not represent those of NIST. Um, but we, we actually, uh, this is, I mean, this is official. We are co-sponsoring um, a conference called IMPACT um, that will be, I believe it's March 21st in um, Virginia, McLean, Virginia. Um, and um, this is a conference that's been done um, in the UK for the last several years. Um, and it is specifically for that to bring researchers and practitioners together to allow researchers a forum that they can talk to practitioners about some of the research that they've done is that's very um, applicable to, to practice. Um, and so it's coming to the US. Um, I don't know that it's been officially advertised. This might be, I might've just outed it, um, but, uh, but, it, but it will be soon if it hasn't. Um, and so, um, like those types of forums, we're very interested in um, bringing people together, um, you know, um, you know, how do we give researchers a platform to talk to practitioners and to get their feedback? Well, I think um, obviously there are a gazillion ways to uh, to close that gap, um, you you mentioned us in this conversation, and I'll I'll just say now that you have you have a friend in ITSP magazine to to open uh, those conversations. I'm happy to with you as my co-host uh, bring bring researchers and practitioners together, and let's just rap about stuff if if that's of interest. You have you have an open door for that, so anytime anytime you feel that's uh, that's something that's there, we we can certainly do that. Um, we're kind of getting close to the end here in terms of time. Uh, I'd like to give you a moment to, uh, I presume there's, there are way for, ways for people to get involved, right? Um, not just absorb information, but give back and contribute to the work that you're doing. Are there ways for, for people to do that? Is it, is it just connect with you or are there ways to sign up for specific projects or tell me a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, um, well, first of all, whenever, you know, NIST puts out a publication, um, you know, and it's open for public comments, please do comment on that, especially if there's if there's something, um, some human element um, uh, aspect that you want to comment on, you know, please do that. Um, we don't necessarily have a, a great way to involve um, um, kind of general public people, but, you know, definitely um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am very responsive. Um, so feedback is fantastic. Um, I have, 
uh, just recently started, uh, you know, whenever we, our group puts something out, you know, we're sending a link to that. Um, would love to hear, was it useful? Um, you know, did it make some kind of impact on you, maybe even, you know, on an individual level or your organization? Um, are there, you know, are there things that we need to go into deeper? Are there other topics that are of particular interest? Um, you know, we want to get that feedback. So um, I think, you know, and that's one of the easiest ways. Um, also going to our website, my contact information is there. We have a, um, a mail uh, email address, um, human-cybersec at nist.gov. Um, feel free to, to email us there. Um, we, we are actually responsive. We do read the email and we do respond. Um, so yeah, just, uh, Send, send comments, let us know how we're doing, how we can do better, what we need to look at. That's, that's a big priority in the security community that maybe we're overlooking. All I can say is uh, kudos to you and the team. I mean, a huge, huge uh, amount of effort and, and results already. I mean, there's, there's stuff on authentication and, and cryptography and, Obviously, we talked about phishing, but privacy as well. User perception, behavior, I'm sure that's an interesting one. You mentioned the voting one earlier. And uh, I don't know if it's in, in concert or connection with NICE, but there's a youth security and privacy one as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of topics uh, that all touch the human, which I love. And I'm um, super happy to hear that you're you're doing all these things. And I, I, I echo what you said. I would encourage people to... Go in and, and look around, see what's there, uh, absorb what you can, provide feedback where you have it. Um, um, it's an important element. Uh, as I mentioned, Marco and I started ITSB Magazine because of this, <laughs> and it's great to see uh, great to see the work coming together, uh, research driven, not just uh, not just because we know it's important. Trying to figure it out, we actually have we actually have data to help us <laughs> do a yeah, better job yeah. with it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Sean. It was great, great talking with you. Yep. Always, Julie. And uh, keep up the good work. We'll include links to uh, some of the things we talked about here today. And, uh, of course, uh, I would encourage everybody to uh, share this with your friends and enemies, both. And uh, subscribe, have fun, comment, uh, connect with us. And, uh, Julie, thank you again for taking the time today. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity with Sean Martin, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, 
Then share this show and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand with our conversations, you can sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.